God. Praise God. Amen. If you're not standing and you're able to stand, if you would stand, welcome to everyone tonight. If you're a guest with us on this special occasion tonight, we welcome you. If you're watching us somewhere on the internet, we welcome you as a part of this service as well. Thank you for joining with us wherever you may be. Praise God. It is my privilege, and my wife said uh, yesterday that I was getting something like more sentimental or something. I didn't know that was possible, but I guess maybe I am. But I, I, you know, I made up my mind a while ago. Not sure why we always wait till somebody's in a casket to tell them what we think about them. <laughs> All kind of great things get said to dead people, and they don't know what you're saying. I, I'm sorry, but they don't know what you're saying. I know I'm crossing a little bit of theology with a few of you, but they, they don't know what you're saying. So um, if there's anybody I know that doesn't like pomp and circumstance any less than Bishop, it's probably the guy that's about to come preach. So, um, oh well. <laughs> I said it Thursday night, Brother Hemus and I, I have felt through the years um, in a lot of ways more as a peer and mean that in no disrespect towards him. I think he understands what I mean by that. But much closer in years and developing my ministry, developing about the same time frame as uh, same time frame as his was. But um, Brother Grossbach, there's a little bit more of an age gap between he and I, and so um, haven't viewed him quite that way. There are um, I've never never said this before, and I actually don't know if I really clearly thought about it until just a few minutes ago, standing on the platform. There's probably three men in my life. There's a lot of men I've been honored to be around and, and respect and love and appreciate, but probably three men that have been at the top of my list for as long as I can remember. And in first place, by a long shot, has been my father. He's been my hero, um, etc. And uh, I'll leave the second one nameless, and number three, no disrespect, but number three would be the man that's about to come preach. One of the highlights of my entire life, one of the highlights of my entire life was about two months that Angie and I got to spend in Zambia with brother and sister Grossbach, and uh, no doubt that was a key part of my development and ministry, but just to simply be able to be with them and um, as the male, not disrespecting Sister Grossbach, but to be able to hang out with Brother Grossbach, who has just been one of my heroes all of my life, has been a a, a, a uh, invaluable time in my life. And so I am so thrilled and honored to have the privilege of being the one to be able to introduce him tonight and I appreciate him, appreciate not only what he's been to missions and been to the world, but I appreciate the friendship and the impact that he has had on my life as well. So, Brother Grossbach, we are so thrilled to have you here tonight. Please come and be yourself and say and do whatever you feel. God bless you. Please be seated and get comfortable. Well, now I'm ready for the casket. Hallelujah. <laughs> Got that out of the way. 
Praise God. Super. Thanks. What are you doing? Okay. Well, there's some people that may not want to hear what I've got to say. Feeling mighty fine. The last time I heard that song was in a little church in Texas. We were on deputation, and there was a woman with a gigantic hairdo that sang it. And I don't know how on tune she was, but I don't know if I've ever heard such anointing on a song. She sang it with every ounce in her soul, and it's become a what? I don't know. It's a great song. Thanks. And I told Sister Wright, I don't think I've ever heard her play the keyboard before. Heard her on the accordion, on the organ, and on the piano, but never on the electronic keyboard, and she was fantastic. So, uh, great. Praise God. What an honor to be here, and a very, very special night, and it's all about Antioch, and uh, I, uh, uh, I, I want to recognize everybody up here. I mean, I, it, you guys are just all awesome, and uh, to have the district secretary here, Man, did he have some nice words. I mean, that was very, very, very well done. And uh, brother and sister Wright, we love you. All of the brother and sister Wrights, we love you. And uh, all the future brother and sister Wrights, we love them too. All the congregational leaders, we greet you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, I was asking, I was thinking about asking Pat to say something and... Um, We'll just, just when I speak, she's speaking with me. Praise God. We love you. Love the church. Love the congregations. Love what you're doing. And uh, I, uh, I got some revelations today. I really did. And this, this you know, whatever, however this preaching turns out, it, it probably is just to help me, the preaching. But So bear with me. But I did get some revelations today. And one of them is, this is going to sound really crazy to some of you, but um, I got a revelation that I am an Antiocher. I don't know if that term exists here. It does? Well, I, and I, and I know, I, it, I, I'll try to explain why it was a, a revelation just today. But uh, part of it stems from the fact that whenever I, 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 let me put it this way, I never struggle to preach or I've preached in almost every context possible to the human preacher um, and in almost every possible place except all the, you know, the real fancy ones in the United States. But, I mean, every kind of village and under trees and open air and at all-night funerals and, uh, you know, in big African churches, foreign languages, blah, blah, blah. But I never struggle with preaching as much anywhere as I do here. And I was... And I was struggling with that struggle uh, for the last several weeks. I mean, I, I knew exactly. In fact, Pat asked me if several weeks ago, you know, you know what you're going to do? And I said, I'm focused. I, I'm on this thing. And uh, then it just, uh, the last three days just uh, dissolved in front of my eyes. Uh, it's like it just dried up and blew away. And then, and then reality set in. And, and the reason is this. I mean, and, and so I'm struggling with the struggle. And, uh, you know, we're, we're staying with our dear old friends, Richard and uh, Jane, not dear old, I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's right, dear old friend, let's face it. And, uh, you know, we've hardly said 36 words to each other, especially today. I was down there most of the day. And I'm just, I'm, you know, I'm in this thing and struggling with this thing. 
And, um, and I, that, so that was part of the revel- first revelation was the reason you're struggling so much when you get here, you feel all this pressure. And I know I'm not supposed to feel it, but I do. And, uh, but the pressure is because, um, because we care. I, and I, I know that sounds maybe disingenuous, like, well, don't you care about every other place you've ever preached? And I do. But the reality is in a lot of places you're there, it's a one-time gig, and, and you're gone. And they're going to have to deal with it. And they can clean up any mistakes you made, or they can take the little bit of cream that you, from the top and they can use it. But you're gone, and it's their baby. And I realize today that this, you know, this is, this is us. And this 45th anniversary is special to me, too, and it's an honor to be here, and I'm going to get on with this. But I have struggled with this and struggled with this. And today at exactly 2.20, the bell rang. And I was already writing notes and, and furiously page after page of stuff and, you know, and, and getting focused. And at 2.20, exactly, I looked at my watch, the bell rang. And I knew that I had gotten a... A revelation, and I pray that it's bigger than I am. Um, I pray that it's that it's from God. I believe it is, and um, and I need to get on with it. Praise God. I want to uh, I want to start by reading a couple of very audacious declarations that are found in the scriptures. I didn't tell the guys in the sound booth where these are, so they'll just have to catch up to us, or just leave them off the screen. Practice for a power outage <laughs> where you have to go back to the paper Bible. The first one is in the book of Joshua, chapter number 14. And I just want to read two verses there, and then we're going to go to the book of Judges and read a couple, about three verses there. So I'm in Joshua, chapter number 14, and it's going to be verse 11 and 12, and no others. Just 11 and 12. Now, this is an audacious declaration. This is an audacious declaration. This, is, this has got to be the most audacious declaration that you can, or one of them that you can find in the Scriptures. Verse number 11, it's Caleb that's speaking. And he says, As yet I am as strong this day as I was in the day that Moses sent me. He's 85 years old. As yet I am as strong this day as I was in the day that Moses sent me. As my strength was then, even so is my strength now for war, both to go out and to come in. Now, therefore, give me this mountain. Whereof the Lord spoke in that day. For thou heardest in that day how the Anakims, the giants, were there. And that the cities were great and fenced. If so be, the Lord will be with me, then I shall be able to drive them out, as the Lord said. So give me this mountain. Why? Because I'm as strong as I ever was. I'm just as strong this day at 85 as I was many, many years ago when Moses sent me as a spy to see the land. Judges chapter number 2. Equally audacious, but this one is spoken by the Lord himself. Verse number 1, Judges 2 and number 1. And you'll see that these verses don't seem to jive very well with Joshua's, uh, Caleb's audacious statement. Verse number 1, And an angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochum, 
And he said, I made you to go up out of Egypt, and I brought you unto the land which I swore unto your fathers. And I said, this is God speaking, and I said, I will never break my covenant with you. I'll never break my covenant with you. Never. God will never break his covenant with anybody. Verse number two. And you shall make no league with the inhabitants of this land. You shall throw down their altars. But you have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? Verse number three. Here it comes. Wherefore I, God, I also said, I will not drive them out from before you. But they shall be as thorns in your sides, and their gods shall be a snare unto you. Let's pray. Lord, in the name of Jesus, I'm asking you, God, with all my heart, to convey the spirit of this word unto this great congregation of believers. Bless this church, I pray. Bless the hearers of this. Help me to speak it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Praise God. Amen. God bless you. Two audacious statements. One of them is, I'm just as strong as ever. I've never forgotten what God told me. I've never forgotten what God showed me. There's something waiting for me that is specifically for me. And then we read in Judges where God speaks to the nation of Israel as a whole and said this, I told you a long time ago that I will never break my promise to you. I've chosen you. There's a promise waiting for you. But part of that conditional promise was your part in the deal. And that was that you would go in under my power, my strength, my vision, my direction, according to my will, and you would drive people out And you would possess the land, but you haven't done that. Therefore, I will not drive them out for you. There are some things that God will not do for us. He will empower us to do them, but He won't do them without us. So He left them there. And Pastor Hemus told us just on Thursday night, you can read it later on, he read the last verse in this very same chapter. That these people, certain peoples were left in the land to, to try and test the Israelites. Not so that God would know whether they believed him. But whether or not they would know and realize whether they honestly believed God or not. And what I see in Judges chapter 2 is a, is a very clear statement from God that says that not possessing equals not believing. Let me tell you something about pastors that I know, because I've worked with African pastors for the last 30 years, and I've been privileged to work with American pastors before that and, and in between. And that is this. It's a pastor's dream and hope. The very number one primary hope and dream and desire for of any pastor of any good shepherd is that there is a supernatural potential reached by every hearer in his congregation that somehow that we as as the governor put it congregants that we realize who we really are and we are empowered to become who we are called to be and then we realize that through true spiritual ministry that's the hope and dream of every good pastor. Any pastor that doesn't hope for that is an is a imbecile. And the greatest frustration of pastors is this. When if Thursday after Thursday and Sunday after Sunday and seminar after seminar and conference after conference and prayer meeting after prayer meeting, they look out over their congregants 
and they see that potential not being realized. They turn inward. They grow frustrated. They wonder why they fall short, while they're, why, why they're not able. And, and horror of horrors, for many of them, they, they kind of retreat into this shadow of mediocrity and they, look, they begin to compare themselves among themselves. And they say, I've got as many people as X, Y, Z. I'm, I'm, I'm better than average. I'm doing okay. When in actual fact, their spirit is grieving because the people that, that, that are called by God with a spiritual potential never realize it. There's a vision in Antioch, and I, I was amazed, brother, as you read as you read some of those things. You know, those are specific points of an Antioch vision. And because there is a real live God-given Antioch vision, there are Antiochers. That's part of my revelation for me. See, that's why I'm an Antioch. Because my vision, my whole my whole vision experience, brother, right, is based on six years. With you guys. That's where it was born. That's where, that's where I learned to, to walk and learn to feed and learn to see and learn to talk and learn to convey a message from God to somebody else and learn to teach somebody the, the primary steps in their own salvation. I learned that here. This was a proving ground for me. So I'm an Antioch. That's who I am. That's why when I got to Africa, I did what people consider to be bizarre things. I did bizarre things. I did. I, I carried out th- things in, in a way that was, you know, like the, uh, like the bow of the boat. You know, I wasn't in the stern watching the, you know, the wake boil around and saying, boy, this is a really nice journey. I was the bow of the boat. I was cutting through the water. I was stopping services at a national context when the singer was dead. I don't want to hear this junk. Sit down. Let's get somebody up here full of the Holy Ghost that can lead this conference. How can you embarrass people like that, Brother Grossman? Because we've got to do this thing. This is, not a, this is not who we are and this is not what we do. This is not according to God-given vision for apostolic worldwide revival. This isn't going to reach this nation. This isn't the model that God's trying to establish in front of every other church and every kind of believer. That's an Antioch. That's an Antioch-style vision. That's the dot on the map. That's the star in the sky. That's the Antioch of the book of Acts. That's where people get, That's where Paul's proving ground was. Barnabas took him to Antioch. Paul was an Antiocher. Paul learned the Antioch vision. Paul learned wisdom. Paul learned patience, I think. Or at least Barnabas tried to teach him something. But he knew what revival really meant and what it consisted of. See, because... And because there's a vision in Antioch, that means that Antioch empowers people. It does. Now, whether you get it or not is up to you. But Antioch is a place that empowers you toward your potential. It does. It does. It's happening. You can grow here. You can get this thing if you want to. You can stand up and say amen, or you can sit down and wag your head. But it's a place that empowers you if you want to be empowered. Hallelujah. 
I, you know, I had my days. I had my days. I got the Holy Ghost and I was full of faith from the get-go. And then, I don't know, maybe a couple weeks went by or something and I wasn't, you know, making the next major jump. I'm standing there in the altar with my eyes closed and trying to do the best I can and, and just, just, you know, full of the Holy Ghost. And I thought I was doing okay. And then this big voice, I'm standing there in the altar on that little church in Windsor Avenue, just, what, you know, loving God. And this voice comes in my ear. You know, it scared the willies out of me. And this voice said one word. He said, dance. What? It wasn't God's voice. You know, what do you do? You dance, you know. You... I learned the Antioch two-step on the spot by commandment. That's a simple kind of empowerment, isn't it? And you go go to the other end of the spectrum. If you're that little thing, you know, for a beginner. You know, when the light just turned green. Go a little bit further, you know. And and you sit down in in some meetings and you're talking about strategy to hold the revival, the influx of people that we saw starting in, you know, 80 and 81 and 82. You know, now I'm I'm part of a meeting where we're sitting down and trying to strategize how are we going to keep people. That's empowerment. Ted, talk. You know, contribute. It's empowerment. It's a chance. It was a medium in which, you know, in which and through which we could evangelize the area. A place where we could learn how to teach and how to minister. It was empowerment. And you either got it or you didn't. And some people are not here, Sister Wright, because they never, they never picked up the tool. They never... Yeah, here's, the, here's the resources now. Pick them up and use them in the field. And some people never quite get it. And they miss that empowerment. And they... They miss the mark and they, they don't possess the land. But Antiochers, because of God's will and God's direction and God's hand, they see differently. We do. If you're an Antiocher, you ought to say amen. amen. I, I've, I've told you this before. I'm not an amen preacher. I'm not going to say amen at the end of every phrase, so you do it. Because I don't think God likes spiritual gray parrots. You can teach birds to do. I, you're supposed to amen when you feel amen. Antiochers amen when they feel amen. Brother Middleton, you know what I'm talking about? When you feel it, that's when you say, preach it. You're telling the truth. I used to, I used to poke people next to me and say, did you hear what he said? what Antiochers do. Why? Because they, because they identify what's happening right now. I don't mean right now, but, but they identify what's happening right now as part of the, the realization of the vision. This is something that's taking us to the next place. This is progress right here. And, and Antiochers reject the opposite of that. They don't tolerate anything less than that. That's why, uh, and and I don't know if Antiochers do this, but Grossbach does. That's why I don't amen a bunch of junk. I don't do it. 
And I, I've struggled with that over the years. You get some imported preacher for whatever reason standing up in your national conference or national ministers meeting and you know he's UPC, he's Holy Ghost, he's baptized in Jesus' name with a certificate signed and everything. And then he, all of a sudden he dredges up some junk. I mean some thing that's extra biblical. You know, it's just not, I don't know if he got it off of some CD or this television satellite beam or what it was. I don't know. I don't know if he got it from Creflo Dollar. I heard a guy a couple of years ago. Man, you can have Creflo. You can keep Creflo. You can put Creflo in the doghouse for all I care. Because it's rubbish. Creflo, if you're out there in internet land, it's rubbish, brother. And we don't need that. We don't need to import this stuff. We don't need that. We don't need, we don't need that. See, we don't need that. We got this stuff right here. That's what we need. We need this. I need this. I don't need that. And I'm not going to amen that. But you talk about vision, about worldwide apostolic revival. Preach it. Preach it. That's, that's what Antioch does. What Antiochers do. If you're a Creflo fan, talk to me after service. See, there's a danger in what I call Pentecostal rhetoric. There's Pentecostal rhetoric, and it's easily bought, borrowed, stolen. It's an insidious disease that travels around the airwaves and the internet and the, and the CD players, and it gets into your brain and messes you all up. There's Pentecostal rhetoric. There's stuff that people say that sounds good and it sounds modern. Turn to your neighbor and speak peace into his life. That sounds great, but it's not in the Bible. You don't speak. I didn't, I'm not the Prince of Peace. I'm not the Prince of Peace. I'm just trying to find peace and live in peace. I can pray for your peace. But I can't just go boom and you've got peace. I can't sprinkle peace on you. I can't heal you, but I can pray for you. I can't prosper you, but I can tell you about a God who has everything. I can point you in the right direction. Don't get outside this book. Don't fall prey to Pentecostal rhetoric. Before church, I'm telling you, before church, until 2.20, I was in a knot. After 2.20 and the bell rang, I started feeling better. And then I just wanted the clock to move forward so I could get this over with and get out of here. So just before we got in, got, got showered and all this stuff and dressed up, you know, I went down downstairs to the bishop's house and they got an upright piano and I started plunking out this old tune, God can do I don't have a voice. God can do anything. Come on. God can do anything but fail. God can do anything, anything, anything. God can do anything. Yeah, and then it says something like, eyes have seen, 
Ears have heard what's recorded in God's Word. My God can do anything but fail. Sorry about the voice. God can do anything, anything, anything. My God can do anything but fail. Eyes have seen, ears have heard what's recorded in God. My God can do anything. But the problem is, we fail. So God's plan goes kerplunk. See, that's the thing. That's the thing about those two audacious statements. Caleb's singing, I know God can do anything but fail. As if my eyes have seen, because he was there. And ears have heard, I even saw the big fat grapes. My God can do anything but fail. So let me go and strangle a giant and I'll throw the other one down the toilet. My God can do. And then, and then God comes along and says, you know what, Israel? I'm going to leave these people with you because you refuse to possess the land by my strength and power. I told you you could do this. I, I told you you could do this. So watch out for rhetoric. See, even songs. See, you know, and I got to thinking, I'm, and I'm playing this song God can do. But wait a minute. This is the kind of stuff we say and we sing and then we leave here and we don't do anything. I found out a long time ago that there's, there's, three, there's three things that kind of determine the way we live. The first one is what I call position. And I'm not talking about a position in the church. I'm talking about where you are in Christ. Where you see yourself in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that, that has to do with empowering again. You come to a place like Antioch and you learn who you really are. Right. Now, when you learn who you, where you really are, your position, that gives you a new perspective. Now you see things the way God sees them. Right. And when you see things the way God sees them, then your priorities get set. And that's the way you live. And Antiochers live differently. Antiochers live up to the call. And let me tell you what that means. It means transitioning. Living up to the call talks about transitioning from the vision to our vision. And then to my vision. You know what David's looking for right now? People that talk about my vision, which is in line with our vision, which is, in fact, our part of the vision. Pastors never, they never, they never seem to have enough people that come up and say, you know what, I'm with you, I'm in this thing, and I'm ready to do whatever, whatever I possibly can. And don't shrink back if nobody comes to you and asks you to do something specific. Just volunteer anyway. Just do it. Just do it. Can you, can you imagine Caleb's pain when they turned around and went back into the wilderness? Do you know that the Bible says that when, 
when he and his pal Joshua gave their report and the, the crowd, the other ten and the crowd shouted them down, it got, and then they, they came back again and they tried again. They tried again to get their point through. Then it says that the crowd was ready to stone them, to shut them up. Can you imagine Caleb's pain the next day? In fact, God said, the next day, you've got to leave. You've got to leave this place. I preached a message to the South African church many, many years ago. And the title of it was from uh, the time where they're at, they're at Mount Sinai. The Bible in that place calls it Mount Horeb. And they've been there for some time now. They've been there for a while. God's given, God's given Moses the tablets written by God's own finger in stone. And, and Moses has read this law in front of the people and required them for the very first time to use the word amen. He'd read a few lines and they were required to say amen and maybe salute. And uh, then, then, then the day comes and God says to Moses, he says, you know what? You've been in this mountain long enough. Now turn you and take your journey. They were only 11 days from Horeb to Kadesh Barnea. 11 days. They only walked for 11 days and they got to the place in Kadesh where they could actually survey from a distance. They could see the land of promise. Only 11 days. Turn you. and t- You've been at this place long enough. You've been at this place where you could feel safe where you could feel secure, where you could have victory, where you had plenty from God. You learned things. You learned how to, how to administrate the, the congregation of Israel. You learned all this stuff. You got all this empowerment. Now turn and go and do it. And only 11 days later, they were looking at the promise with their own eyes. So Moses says, I'm going to send 12 spies. And they saw it. Imagine Caleb's pain when Moses says, you know what, boys? Tomorrow morning we're packing up camp and we're not going that way. We're going that way. I saw it. <laughs> Brother Hemus, I told, I've told him about three times already. I, I, he did a fantastic job on Thursday. It was so personal. It was so, it was so easy to... to Grab, it was so easy to relate to. And it was, it was kind of for those who left. It, it was from the perspective of, of someone who left. I'm preaching about those who stayed. Because this is your promise we're talking about. Caleb hurt. And yet he didn't murmur, he didn't complain. In fact, you don't really read much about him, but I know what he was doing. He was still faithful. He was ready all the time. He was, he was waiting and he was gaining experience. And he was remembering all of what God said and all of what God showed him. You know... Back in Joshua 14, let me read something here. Verse number 8. 
Caleb again. He says, Nevertheless, my brethren that went up with me made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. Now, do you know where he got that? He, well, he didn't just dream that up. That actually, that actually comes from Deuteronomy chapter 1. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse number 35. Verse number 34. The Lord heard the voice of your words, and he was angry, and he swore, saying, Surely there shall not one of these men of this evil generation see that good land which I swear to give unto your fathers, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. He shall see it. And to him will I give the land that he's trodden upon and to his children, because he has wholly followed the Lord. Listen, it doesn't matter what the congregation does. Brother Reaver, it doesn't matter what UPCI declares. It's nice. It's nice to have those conferences. I don't know how they expect missionaries to survive. I mean, you get those publications from America, and they're full of conferences. Conferences that will change your life. Conferences that will renew your ministry. Conferences that will refresh your spirit. Well, we don't even get to go to those. How do they expect us to survive? And we're in the middle of deepest, darkest. You know what I mean? So it's nice to have all those conferences, and they get up and they declare about the, the worldwide apostolic revival. And the one I love is the threshold of revival remark. Here we are at the threshold of the greatest revival God's ever going to give the world. Okay, come on, let's do something. Let's not just stand there for 50 years at the threshold of revival. Because, because ultimately, ultimately, Brother Reaver, where it takes place is the local church. The very best we could ever do in senior leadership is equip our pastors to the place where they can experience rev- apostolic revival at the local church level. You know what? Just recently, Brother Bishop Wright, being a, back, uh, you know, back in Indiana, there's a guy who came to me with good spirit. I'm not, I'm not telling this to, to tell on him. And he asked me about you. Since he knows I'm an Antioch. And he asked me about this, and quote, bishop thing. What's, about, what's this bishop thing going on? You know, I hear that Pastor Wright's going around and he's bishoping people. And I, I, don't, I didn't know anything about it. I, I don't know who you're bishoping or where you're bishoping. It sounded like a chess game, you know. Bishop won. So I said, what are you talking about? He said, well, he's, you know, he's, he's being asked. To, he goes to certain places and he's made bishops. You know, they've, excuse me, they've ordained, he's ordained bishops. And I said, well, let me tell you what I do know. Because I don't know anything about that, but here's what I do know. I said, first of all, he's a bishop. Now, hang on. I don't know what that means to you, but I know what it means to me because I get my reference from here. See, the man's, the man's a bishop. And the biblical paradigm is, I mean, see this. See this. You know, it is good. Paul appointed Timothy as a, as a what? As a bishop. He made him a bishop in Ephesus. And now there wasn't one, one huge steel building in Ephesus. There were congregations all over the place. And Timothy was the bishop over those congregations. And they would grow and they would divide and they would, they would find somebody from a new village and they would go there. Praise God. And thank you, Brother Reaver, for your comments because, I mean, the Maryland, that, you're right. The DNA is injected into that little thing. 
Because I know that's the way your district is thinking. And that's the way it's supposed to be. That's bishoping. So, good. Go around and when you find guys that understand this, then you ordain them into this vision. And you carry it out at the local church level. And, and do you know what they're doing? I'm guessing now. But I, I bet you what they're doing is they're holding themselves accountable to somebody. To somebody. I don't know who it is. But they're holding themselves accountable. You don't just get, you know, now you're a, you know, you're a bishop and now you can do whatever you want. You're a bishop and you're charged with this bishoping responsibility. Because that's where revival really takes place. You can talk about it at conferences. And then you can leave and do very little about it. And the dream dies and you end up in Judges too. In fact, you know what? When God originally, see, in Judges 2, when God is reminding them at Bochum about what He's saying, He's taking them back to what He told them would happen if they didn't possess the land. And He said, not only will it be a, a fiasco and a disaster, but I'll, let, I'll end up doing to you what I meant to do to them. So tell me about possessing the land. Tell me about desire and passion to possess the land in a bishop. And that makes me an Antioch. So Caleb knew something. He, he knew something and he, and he remembered this thing. And, and, and he remembered, God told me I wholly followed him. God knows that. God's promise was, it had become Caleb's promise. You know what? Antioch means something just like many, many Bible names. You know, have you studied Bible names at all? I mean, it's fascinating how Bible names have such significance. I mean, listen to some of these. Listen to some of these names I just dredged up out of them. Here's one. Paltai means deliverance. What a cool name. You know, in Africa, that's no big deal. I mean, you get names like that all the time. Deliverance, hope, faith. Uh, purity, uh, help me, Pat. I mean, all kinds of, you know, just Bible-type names. Amiel. Here's a guy. Amiel means the people of God. Gadai means fortunate. Shamwa means renowned. Igal means redeemed. I'm a guy named Igal. I mean, every time you look at him, hey, I redeemed, how you doing? I mean, it just, it just reeks of God and His promise. Geul. God's majesty and Gadiel, blessed of God. Powerful names. You know who they were? They were the other spies. Every one of those guys was one of the spies sent into the land. They went up there with a name like God's majesty. They went up there with a promise of God. They went up there. God told them. God told them, I want you to go up there and I want you to see the land for what it is. That's where the expression what it is came from. What it is. I want you to go to the land and see. See for yourself. See the land. What it is. Look at the fruit. Look at how they're ready to be possessed. Look at what's waiting for you. Hey, redeemed of God, go up and take a close look. And then at the end of the exhortation, he said this. He said, somebody ought to be on your feet. He said, be of good 
courage. I'm giving this to you. And, and Mr. Deliverance said, no way. Blessed of God said, not for me. Fortunate said, Woo, this is my unlucky day. Too much. Ten out of twelve with beautiful names. And it meant nothing. Talk all you want to, but you better walk the walk. You better tell somebody about this promise. So Antioch means something. This name means something. The place they were first called. And if that's not good enough, listen to this. See, Moses couldn't take the people into the promise. Isn't that amazing? I know about striking the rock. I know all about that. I know how he got blamed for that. I want to check with God and Moses and the rest of them about this in heaven. But I'm just not convinced that it was just striking the rock. I, I think the whole symbolism thing comes into play here. The law, the covenant, the old covenant couldn't take them to the promise. It could only help prepare them and make them spiritually qualified to be the people that could possess the promise. They mistook all that. They turned it all upside down. Instead of looking at the law and realizing how undone they were and calling out for God to forgive them and heal them and use them and fill them and lead them, they got all self-righteous about who they were. So they could not, they could not go into the promise like that. And Moses, if he went in, he represented all that negative stuff. So what does God do? He calls two guys to lead them in. Who? Joshua and Caleb. Joshua is the same name as Yeshua. It means salvation. So they had to be saved to get into the promise. You've got to be salvation. And you've also got to be Caleb. Now Caleb has a couple of meetings. It depends on you know, which interpreter you want to go by. One of them is easy. It's, it means capable. So you've got to have salvation and you've got to be capable of doing that. You got to be empowered, Antioch. But there's another interpretation of the word Caleb. It simply says dog. But then again, the more you think about this and the more they study it, they've attached more to it than just a simple dog. It's not like, hey, dog. (laughs) This is a special kind of dog. And this is the kind of dog that God is looking for. You know, in the Congo, they eat dogs. It's horrible. I mean, there's one thing I don't like about Congolese tradition, it's eating dogs. I, and I, I actually went to the book and studied to find some verse to, to prevent this. And I, I couldn't find one. Because in every, in every reference, dog is a negative thing. It's a negative thing. Beware of dogs. That's where it comes from, the Bible. Beware of dogs. But this thing, but this Caleb thing, this Caleb dog thing is, is different. Actually, what this, what this one translator said was, it's actually referring to a, a mad, vicious dog. I am, man. The bell is still ringing on this one. And we haven't even gotten to the good part. That's a mad, and, excuse me, Bishop Brother Wright. You know, in the old days, we used to say this was kind of like, this was Antioch. It was good stuff, and I'm not finding fault with it. But it was like Antioch rhetoric. We said, and it was preached by visiting preachers to us, and we were told, and we told each other, and we even shouted this out from time to time, that we had the spirit of Jacob. 
Well, you don't. You've got the spirit of Caleb. It's like a mad, vicious dog that gets a hold of something and will not, will not turn it loose. Never. No way. See, that's, that's who Caleb was. That's, that's why. That's who he was. He, he seized a hold of this thing. I will, I will wholly follow God. I saw this promise and I'll never let go. So, turn around. Let's go back into the wilderness if we've got to. I'm not going to murmur or complain. And when I'm 85 years old, I'm going to stand. I'm going to look at that same mountain in the eye and say, Give me the giants because I'm going to kill every one of them. That mountain is my mountain. That promise is my promise. Johnny Jack, you ought to jump for joy. Praise God. A mad, vicious dog. Caleb. Salvation's cool. Got to have Joshua for sure. But you need a mad, vicious dog in his side. Because we got plenty of saved people doing absolutely next to nothing. And then there's Caleb. He'll tear up anything between him and the promise. He'll do bizarre things in the name of the vision and not even give an excuse for it. And then, here's what happened at 2.20. And you talk about stupid. I am the world's dumbest preacher. I, this is, this is before, between me and you, this, this is God's truth. Joshua 14, verse number 7. This is 2.20 this afternoon. I'm reading this for the 137th time today. Forty years old was I when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me sent me from Kadesh Barnea to espy the land, and I brought him word again as it was in my heart. See, it got this, this vision got in his heart. What he saw got in his heart. Nevertheless, my brethren that went up with me made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land whereon thy... Thy feet have trodden shall be thine inheritance and thy children's forever because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, as he said, these forty and five years. Forty-five years. I didn't look up. I didn't, I didn't concordance forty-five. I read this for the 137th time. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, as He said, these 40 and 5 years, ever since the Lord made this word unto Moses. While the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness, and now behold, I'm this day fourscore and five years old, as yet I'm as strong this day as I was in that day. 45 years ago. 
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Anybody got to give me my mountain in your spirit tonight? Anybody got to give me my mountain in your spirit tonight? Oh, hallelujah. 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 Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, now that we've given a nice little hand clap in response, let's really do something. Let's really respond from our hearts and our spirits and our hunger and our desire. Oh, Hallelujah, hallelujah. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Oh,
Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I'll pass the solid rock I stand. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I'll pass the solid rock I stand. 
want you to do something. I want you to do something. This is Saturday night. This is Antioch. We are Antiochers. This is Saturday night. Tomorrow morning is Sunday morning. Tomorrow Sunday morning you're in what? Your congregations. I'm asking you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to have an Antioch service in your congregation. And don't settle for anything less than God's best. Don't settle it. If it starts off wrong, stop it and restart it. But do what's right and don't compromise. Don't just do it as well as somebody else down the road. Don't worry about your weekly report that you got to turn in. Do it Antioch way. Get it, do it like a mad, vicious dog that's got a hold of a promise and won't turn it loose. Listen, listen. People change. People change. People come. People go. But the spirit of Antioch remains the same. Things happen, but the promise of God is as fresh as it's always yes. been. Listen, 45 years to God is nothing. The promise is alive and well. Now realize it in your local congregations. Congregational leaders, see this. See this. That's why, listen, that's why every gathering in the name of Jesus is so very, very going to happen here and it's going to happen now and it's going to happen in us and through us that's the spirit of Caleb that's your mountain that's our mountain that's God's vision for this church see it see it tomorrow hallelujah hallelujah repeating but you know what there's 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 a lot of people that can come through and say a lot of things and we appreciate it respect it but but this is one of us and hold on hold on and I, 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 I hope I'm saying this ultimately God will have to judge me I hope I'm saying this with the right attitude and the right spirit I hope I am I hope I am. But here's a man that was a part of some of the some of the, the highlights of our history. Some of the greatest days of our revival and harvest. And he just said, I'm not mistaken, he just said, the spirit of Antioch is the same. most of you, but I know what that means to me. And and part of what it means to me is because I've heard from some the spirit of Antioch has changed. I've heard, never mind, I won't say that part, but I've heard that more than once from more than one source. But somebody I trust, not into flattery, going to tell us the truth just told us the spirit is the same so if the spirit's the same i know god is the same 
because it's guaranteed that God don't change. And I tell you what I believe is we are linking up a fresh and a new with an unchanging God. it's going to happen I don't think it's going to happen but if somehow we get to the 90th anniversary of this church we're not going to be just celebrating the first 45 years of it we're not just going to have the first 45 to celebrate but between now and then we're going to have some stuff that's added to the first 45. We're going to have some new mountains that thank God for generations past. But you and I have gotten our mountains. Hallelujah. 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 I know, I know all of you know this, but let me just... Say it just to make sure. We haven't come this weekend starting on Thursday night just to have some ceremonial church service and do some pomp and circumstance, whatever. And God is speaking to us. Yes, starting on Thursday night and tonight, and I believe tomorrow night as well, God is doing something. I don't know about you, but I'm not going to be sitting on the sideline watching you in the middle of it, but I'm going to be right in the middle of it with anybody else that says, I want my mountain. Hallelujah. I want us, if you would, we just lift our hands, close our eyes, lift our hands to the Lord right now. And I want us to do two things. I want us to give another moment to the Word of God just to settle in our spirits. But I also want us to give thanks to God for speaking to us tonight. For a clear word that He has spoken to us. I believe He's spoken to us corporately, but He's also spoken to our lives as individuals. Thank you, Father, for Your Word tonight. Thank you for the work and the ministry of your spirit in this place tonight. Let your word settle deep in our hearts, God, that it might be able to produce what it is you have intended it to produce in our lives individually and in this church collectively in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Praise your name. Praise your name. Praise your name, Lord. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God. God bless you. Thank you for being here tonight. 
being a part of what God is doing, being participants, fellow laborers in what God is doing. Jesus' name. If you're young people, young adults, part of Chosen, you're participating in the fellowship, encourage you to make your way down there ASAP so they can get things underway down there.